Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So, question for you. If an oops happened in your life, can you afford it? Unfortunately, most Americans don't have enough cash to handle an oops. And people are turning to really troublesome ways to get that money, to borrow that money. I want to talk about how prevention is the best cure with your wallet later in the show. I'm also going to talk about grocery shopping and the method that is saving more and more and more of us money that's been there all along. So surveys ask the question all different ways, but generally somewhere close to half of Americans, even those of higher income, big percent of people with higher income, cannot cover a theoretical $400 unexpected expense a sudden visit to a doctor not covered by insurance or a problem with your vehicle or the water heater goes out at your house whatever it is we're living so tight that we can't afford the unexpected but the unexpected always happens you cannot price life for perfection And I'm very worried about how this mentality has taken hold to use a 401k as just this piggy bank, that the 401k becomes the thing you go to to grab money when you need to do a repair of some kind. And it's funny because... People will call me and they'll, uh, or they'll ask me a question or we'll have one on the podcast from someone who's like, is this an exception to your 401k rule about not borrowing from a 401k? And it's really hard for me to ever say that it is a reasonable exception to borrow that money from the 401k. Because you can't look at things just in isolation. What does it do to your long-term financial independence and trajectory when you pull that money out of a retirement account? At the same time, what do most people do when they have an unexpected expense? If they have it, they pull out a credit card and they charge it at an interest rate that typically is going to be close to 20%. And then for every dollar you borrowed, you're paying back the equivalent of $1.20 if you get it paid off in a year. It's not great either. I mean, these are tough, tough issues. So 
it's why I have my obsession with having from every paycheck some money, any amount of money, go into a savings account that you do a split deposit. It's not a payroll service out there that doesn't have the capability of taking part of your paycheck and putting it in your checking account and part of it and putting in a savings account. And most of them will allow you to put money in two different places from that paycheck because you want the money in a high interest earning online savings account instead of with a traditional bank because traditional banks pay like nothing on your savings. And I've got my one cent rule. The one cent rule is that if you have feel like you can never save a penny, that you just can't do it, start with one penny of every dollar you're getting from your paycheck. And one penny of each dollar goes into that savings account. And the whole idea is to create that habit of diversion into savings to start building it up so that when the rainy day comes, you've got that money to draw on. Yeah, the penny of every dollar you make may not build up enough over time to pay for whatever the oops is, but it will certainly defray part of the cost of whatever the oops is. And you're creating a new habit in your life because the alternatives, it's like, do you want me to jump in a fire pit or do you want me to go into a line of people with uh, machetes? I mean, you know, that's the thing that I'm presented so often with is this thing like, well, something terrible is going to happen to me. Which terrible thing should I do? Right? Mm -hmm. So you want to avoid the fire pit and the machetes by saving money regularly and then you don't even have to worry about that question. All right. Are you ready for questions? I'm ready. Okay. I give the worst analogies ever, don't I? <laughs> I do. Amit, I hope I'm saying your name right, in California. Guru Clark, I'm a big fan of yours. My wife wanted to buy a book for her studies, and she found one from an Instagram group. The seller had Venmo, but as your longtime listener, I know it's not a good idea to use Venmo with an unknown person. So I decided to use my Capital One virtual card. When I linked it to Venmo, it was asking for minimal fees like $2.45. So I transferred first $25. And then after the owner sent me the shipping receipt, I transferred $45. Luckily, the book owner was genuine. The issue is Capital One charged a $10 advance cash fee twice, two times for two transactions, which was not showing when I was transferring the money. I called them and they're saying we can't waive the charge. This is not ethical. What is your suggestion? It's not much, but I'm disappointed with their support and policy, which makes me nervous using my credit card. Yeah. Okay. So the credit card companies are in this ongoing thing with Venmo and Cash App. They are treating them generally as a cash advance and not as a traditional purchase when you put money into your account or use them for a transaction. Gosh, this is expensive. So the cost of the book was 70 bucks plus the cash advance fee plus an additional $20 to Capital One. Plus the probably fee, the $2.45 or whatever the fee was. I guess that's the cash advance fee. fee, I guess. Okay. But I think that I thought they charged you a fee on top of it for using a credit card Venmo, but maybe not. 
Well, if if it processes as a credit card at Venmo, then the only fee would be as a credit card charge okay. that would appear on your card. But the credit card companies don't want to end up in something where you're then disputing as a purchase. That, let's say you didn't receive the book. And then so you're like, well, I'm going to dispute the charge. And so that's why they want to do as a cash advance any transaction you do with Venmo or Cash App which protects them from a chargeback and then costs you all the money up front. So that's why the best answer, if you ever had to use Venmo or Cash App for something like this, if you have Venmo or Cash App set up the way I want you to in the first place, which is tied up into a checking account that does not have access to any of the funds you normally use to pay your rent, mortgage, car payment, anything like that. So in other words, you have a a separate checking account, not at the same institution you do your normal checking, and you set it up just to use for Venmo or Cash App, you eliminate the risk because the only money at risk is the money you have on hand in your account. I'm really sorry this was so messy for you with the cards. Anytime you get into anything that's considered to be a cash advance, it gets ugly quick for your wallet. Carrie in Georgia says, on Clark's recommendation, we bit the bullet and paid an annual fee for the Chase Sapphire preferred card for the sole purpose of obtaining cash in local currency from ATMs. When calling for a PIN, we were told by Chase representative that it is basically this is a ripoff, that there is a high fee to just get the PIN, and then a high interest rate on cash advances starts accruing from the day the cash is obtained. I'm very concerned about this issue. Thanks for any help you can give. So, Carrie, um, all right. Maybe I've failed to explain this well. The purpose when you travel overseas is you use the Chase card. It's considered to be one of the best deals in travel cards. It's $95 annual fee for uh, the preferred. It's like $550 for the reserve, I think. Mm -hmm. But the $95 card is considered to be an out-and-out great deal you, it's designed to use overseas. It's designed to be used for travel. You pay no foreign currency transaction fees using it for purchases as a credit card, not as a source of getting cash from ATMs. If you want cash from ATMs, if your financial institution, you have your ATM card, is fee-free on ATM withdrawals from others' ATMs, you're good. If it's not, then you have a problem. If you have a Charles Schwab account, you can get their ATM card and you never pay a fee uh, for foreign currency or for using an ATM anywhere in the world. And that's the best card to have. As an alternative for getting money overseas, as I've talked about before, look at Revolut and Wise that are both specialists in being able to use your U.S. dollar account basically overseas. The good news about ATMs is that very seldom in most of the world do you need actual physical cash anymore. A lot of countries, you're going to find actual cash hard to use. And what I've discovered is that if when I get to a foreign country and I pull money out in cash using my fee-free ATM card, that I end up at the end of the trip still having almost the same amount of cash 
as I started with. I also, my daughter's overseas right now and she has a USAA checking account and they do refund ATM fees up to $10 a month. So that's also if you happen to to have USAA. USAA, uh, if you have access to USAA, that's a great suggestion. John in Florida says, we had a bad hailstorm that hit our area a few weeks ago. Since then, we've had several roofing contractors knock on our door and leave materials offering to do inspections. And I see that several in the neighborhood are having work done by them. I don't wait, wait, wait. You said, key word, you said in Florida? Yes, in Florida. <laughs> Although this is happening in my neighborhood right now, too, I have to say. Um, I don't see any damage to my roof, but would like to have it inspected by someone other than the guys going door to door. I hate right. to be skeptical, but I'm not sure I trust what they tell me. What's the best thing to do? Should I call my insurance company and see if they will send someone out to inspect? Will that affect my rates? Should I try a home inspector? Should I call another roofing company to inspect? What do I do? Yeah. So this is a plague in Florida that's been driving up homeowners insurance rates like you can't believe. The legislature in Florida has been really struggling with this for a long time. They're so influenced by all the lobbyists that they just never get this quite right. But there have been some tightening of the rules recently because it's been a curse in the state of Florida where the insurance companies basically have one to two hands tied behind their backs with unethical roofers saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this roof's terrible. Look at all this hail damage. And then you're billed as the homeowner. The insurance company on your behalf is billed for a roof. And you're like, I got a free roof. What a great country. But then it has driven homeowners insurance rates up in Florida. It has caused a number of insolvencies of insurers in Florida. And yeah, you have one of these people who drives through the neighborhood go up on the roof and they're going to fill out the forms and tell your insurer, yeah, the roof was completely destroyed by hail. And it's possible there are houses that do, in fact, have legitimate hail damage, but not at all at the ratio that's been going on in the state of Florida. You don't want to play a crooked game. You would want to invite a roofer to your house to go up and inspect it who hopefully is legit. How do you find a legitimate roofer? That is a a really good question. I think if you ask your homeowner's insurance company, they may have some that, that adjusters trust that you could have come. But it is a terrible problem in the state of Florida. And just imagine this is going to be the worst free roof people got When nobody wants to write homeowner's insurance in Florida anymore, that's why I wish the legislature in Florida would get its act together and shut down this crooked practice. By the way, I'd love to have your opinions on it. I'm sure that's the kind of thing that generates Clark Stinks. Mm -hmm. Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. You have something you wanted to talk about with roofing? No, I was just looking at like to see if I'm not sure that this organization is one we want. So I'm going to see if we can update our article, write an article if we don't have it already. But I think we had one about how to how find, to find a, roofer a legit on Clark.com. Yeah. Okay. Uh, coming up ahead, there's a shift that the inflationary cycle we're in has brought to the grocery market. And you're not a sitting duck with the higher grocery prices we've had of late. And I'm going to give you an alternative that is booming 
for your grocery dollars. You know, when something happens in an economy that's really radical, it changes people's behavior. And we've seen this in different industries when there's been like an inflection point. And the enormous inflation in grocery prices that we went through for about 14 months was so severe that it has led to a change in buying patterns and buying behavior of consumers that I don't think is done. I was reading one of uh, the industry publications on the supermarket industry. It's Winsight Grocery Business. And there was an article written for the supermarket chains themselves and supermarket operators about where the danger has been for them. And guess what? One of the real danger spots for them has been the warehouse clubs that through this inflationary cycle we went through in groceries, the warehouse clubs have pulled large market share from traditional supermarkets because the best guesstimate out there is that like for like, the typical grocery item that is available with much less selection at Costco, Sam's Club, or the regional retailer, BJ's Wholesale Club, is that you save 25% overall on your grocery bill. It's not like just a made-up thing. People's behavior in shopping shows that it's true. The warehouse clubs are having record high renewal rates. You know, normally people will join a warehouse club and they're paying whatever the annual fee is or whatever level of membership they are, and you're going to have churn. People say, you know, I never really go there, and they let their membership expire. But the renewal rates are the highest they've ever been for Costco, Sam's, and BJ's wholesale, and it's because people have found such relevance in two industries at the same time. Last year, when Russia invaded Ukraine, and the cost of oil and then in turn gasoline went through the roof, people were using the gas stations at the warehouse clubs in much greater numbers than they had before because there's a big savings on the gasoline. And then once people were at the pumps, they'd park, they'd go inside, they started buying groceries in greater numbers. And it stuck. Both have stuck buying the gasoline and buying the groceries. Because when people are stretched, and they are right now, they're buying more of the things they've got to have at the warehouse clubs. Now, I'm obsessed with the warehouse clubs. I mean, we've got a dog named Kirkland Signature. Maybe our next one will be called Members Mark. The thing is, I love what they do. And you know my rule, I only shop in stores with concrete floors because I don't want to pay for fancy flooring or fancy fixtures or a beautiful store. I want beautiful prices. I am willing to accept less selection for lower price. And that's key in the warehouse clubs. What if you are a single individual and you're thinking, I can't buy groceries at one of these places because 
it's going to go bad before I'd ever finish an item that's got a, a poll date. And that's right. If you go in and you buy a pack of 24 yogurts and you're just one person, they're going to go bad probably before you've eaten the last one. That's true. But it's not true for everything in there. The smartest thing people do is what the warehouse clubs hate. Share your membership with another single individual. And then you buy a big thing of Charmin, you split the Charmin. You buy a big thing of Kirkland Signature paper towels or members mark paper towels or whatever, split the big bundle. Or if you have a BJ's Wholesale Club near you, they offer so many of their food items and other items in much smaller sizes and quantities than you're going to find at Sam's or at Costco. And when you look at warehouse clubs, reason I don't talk a lot about BJ's wholesales, their market share is 7%. Sam's is about 30, Costco's 60 something percent of the market. But these places will save you substantial money. Think about it. 25% overall reduction in your grocery bill. And as I've talked about before, the traditional supermarket chains are getting squeezed. They're getting just clobbered by the competition from the specialties like Aldi and the growing Lidl. The two German supermarket chains that have come in the U.S. are taking more and more and more market share by market in the U.S. Even Dollar General and Dollar Tree are taking market share in groceries. Because when people's wallets just don't buy them enough, they adapt and change old habits. And if you are fed up with high grocery prices where you shop, consider the alternatives. Krista? Okay, Cody in Pennsylvania says, I know you've recently talked about the price differences going back and forth between eating out and going to the grocery store. What about meal delivery services such as HelloFresh? Do those provide a better value than spending money on either of the two? Thank you. The advantage of using a meal delivery service is it eliminates the impulse buying. And if you look at the cost of the convenience of a meal that is uh, virtually an MRE, just to heat and serve. When you look at that, if it gets you to divert eating out at a nice restaurant and you eat at home, it will be more potentially economical for you. The other thing is that if your health is a big factor for you, subscribing to one of these services or having delivery from one of them may actually improve the quality of the health content of the food you're eating. As I say that, though, the meal delivery services have been in a world of hurt. They were doing so well during COVID, they're having a really hard time scaring up customers right now. Jonathan in Connecticut says, we have two nieces, ages five and eight. To say they are fortunate to have a spoiled life would be an understatement. They have every toy you can imagine, as well as travel and experiences. Their family does very well financially. Every birthday, holiday, and Christmas, they get to open what seems like hundreds of toys and presents. We want to do something different for them that they will appreciate later in life instead of buying junk now that they will play with for a week and throw out. What would be the best way of giving money for all these occasions in some investment account so it can grow over the years? Their parents already have a fully funded 529 plan for them. 
What would be a couple of great options that won't affect their financial aid down the road if they decide to go to college? We've thought about opening a Roth IRA, Series I bonds, Treasury bonds notes, simple savings account, credit union CDs. Okay, this is hard because these kids live in a very affluent household, which means that you've got to make a gamble here that the parent's income by itself is going to limit the kid's eligibility for financial aid for college if, in fact, they do go. The parents already have the 529s. You said fully funded, meaning this is a wealthy household. Can't do the Roth because they're not working yet, five and eight years old. Gosh. What about like some kind of a charitable giving fund and then they could choose where the money would go later or something? They're too young to be able to do that. But that is an idea. And you could have no appreciation from the five and eight-year-old if you gave money in their honor. If you asked each of them, hey, what matters to you? Like what, you know, five and eight, I mean, like I hate when a kid has cancer. I hate when a kid doesn't have a home or whatever it is. And you could give money in their honor to that kind of thing. It's funny that both of us were thinking, thinking we're both thinking charity right away. But if it's one of those things, charity begins at home, I would open the kids a fidelity investment account Mm. and put money into an index fund since they're not likely uh, to qualify for financial aid for college. Anyway, you're not hurting them qualifying by having money in their name in an investment account. They go in one of the Fidelity Zero funds, takes $1 to open one of those accounts. But I still like the charity angle. Tom in Hudson Valley, New York, where I hail from. Cornwall on Hudson is where Krista was born and grew up. Mm -hmm. I'm enrolled in a gas station rewards program. Gas paid with a credit card is usually 10 cents higher than the cash price here in New York. Your advice is not to use debit cards in place of credit cards. Great advice. I've not used a debit card in years. My credit card is linked to my rewards account, and I save five cents a gallon when I use the rewards program. To me, I don't think I'm reaping all the benefits of the rewards program when I'm only saving five cents off the credit price. I'm looking for some sage advice from the Swami of Savings. Well, it's so funny that you asked this question because... I started off this segment talking about the warehouse clubs and buying gas. So if you are a member of Sam's or Costco, I would like you to look at getting one of their cards. Sam's Club card, you're going to get five cents, uh, 5% off. So if you're paying three and a half dollars a gallon right now, it'd be 15, 17 and a half cents you'd get off every gallon using the Sam's Club MasterCard to buy your gas. And you use the Sam's Club card anywhere, and you get the 5% off. Um, Costco, you get 4%. So you would still save more than the cash discount difference. Using a credit card, you'd still be net positive. And the annual fee with the Costco, Citibank, Visa, or the Sam's Club MasterCard If you have a membership at either of those clubs, get the accompanying card, use it for gasoline, you'll be better off than you are with the rewards account that's still leaving you a nickel higher per gallon on the credit versus the cash price. Or if you're not a member and you have to use this like one type of gas station, what about opening a separate checking account with a debit card 
that only has a certain amount of money in it for gas every month. Yeah, that's a lot of work, but I you know, could certainly but, yeah. do that with an online bank and you'd get the 10 cent a gallon discount. But I'm trying to I maximize <laughs> your savings. And the warehouse clubs, I mean, they are the answer to every question yes. in life. Freeze your right? credit and warehouse clubs. Yeah. So that's what I would do. You got a pretty good chance with the percent of Americans that are a member of Sam's or Costco, that you have one of those memberships, you'd be able to get the card and get the big discount per gallon of gas. Go by, you can see the big sign, the Krista Memorial, not Memorial, (laughs) honorary, you're still alive. Yeah, there's not one of those. In honor of your life, there's not one. There's not one, but I do want to give it. Hudson River Valley? No, I do. You know who is in the Hudson River Valley though? Clark's super fan and my favorite teacher ever, my third grade teacher, Ms. Ronnie Huntingsbaum. So shout out to you, Ms. Huntingsbaum. We love you. And Ms. Huntingsbaum, you are a member of Team Clark. Thank you so much for that. And I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of our podcast. What are we about? You learning ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. <laughs>